Welcome to the Grimshaw Podcast, the City Series, with your host, Tim Williams. For our second Grimshaw Cities podcast, I'm really delighted that our guest today is Lisa Havila, Director of the Museum of Applied Arts and Sciences here in Sydney, one of Australia's oldest and most important cultural institutions that uniquely, I think, brings together innovation in both arts and science. If that weren't exciting enough, Lisa is now also leading a series of major culture-led precinct renewal projects of international significance, including one at the heart of our harbour city in Ultimo and another big city-shaping project in Sydney's second CBD, Parramatta. The new museum building at Parramatta and surrounding precinct represents the largest investment in cultural infrastructure by the New South Wales government since the Sydney Opera House and will be the first state cultural institution housed in Western Sydney, the fastest growing region of Australia. I really want to stress that in both cases, these are not just museum buildings, but anchors for emerging cultural and urban renewal precincts, and indeed massive votes of confidence in the future of our city and of the centrality of culture and the arts to that city. Lisa has a fantastic background in innovating arts and cultural institutions, including the activation and transformation of carriage works in Sydney, and before that, in Western Sydney, the now-renowned Kazula Powerhouse and Campbelltown Arts Centre, all great landmarks in Sydney's cultural landscape, and helping to spread access to arts and culture to a wider audience. Lisa is a true city maker, and I promise you, a force of nature. So, Lisa, welcome. I've been looking forward to this conversation. I'm keen to talk to you about this important agenda of arts and culture in the city and to reflect on what is in store for us as we plan for what comes next as part of the city post-COVID. Let's start perhaps with how are you and how has the last 18 months been? I'm good. I'm good, Tim. I'm happy to be joining you. Thank you so much um, for the opportunity to talk. It's great. Uh, well, let's, let's, let's go to where you are now. Let's go immediately to talk about your challenges and your delight in what you're doing. So what are you doing at the moment, Lisa? At the moment, I'm working on the renewal of what is an incredible institution with a very long history called the Museum of Applied Arts and Sciences, but much known and loved as the Powerhouse Museum. And so part of that renewal is its, its infrastructure, but it's, it's also the much deeper than that. It, it actually has four components to it. One is the establishment of our flagship museum in Parramatta, um, which we're just going into delivery phase now. The second part of it is the expansion of our collection, storage, and our cultural facilities at Castle Hill. The third component is the digitization assessment and relocation of around 400,000 objects from our uh, collection here in Ultimo. Wow. And the last piece of the transformation is um, the physical transformation is the renewal of uh, the powerhouse museum here in Ultimo. And um, we're just on the very beginning of that journey, which started 12 months ago when the government announced that they'd like to retain the museum and would consider investing to build a creative industries precinct and uh, think about how our museum could work within the context of that. But to put it in context for it, because we're going to have a, a kind of global listen, you know, you know mm. people uh, listening to this across the world. Uh, you're going to spend, I can't, I, 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 I hesitate to even put the figure, but it feels like north of half a billion dollars on these two 
on these two projects? It's around $1.4 billion <laughs> altogether, Australian billion dollars. It's a, it's a reassuringly <laughs> large number, you know, it's, a, yeah. a, it's an impressive number. It's an incredible investment and it's an incredible philosophical investment by the New South Wales government into really making a bold statement about how arts and culture and museums can really play a very active role, not only in the renewal of a city, but also is redefining, I think, internationally, who, you know, has a right to have direct access to world-class arts and culture. And I, I think that's particularly true of Parramatta because Powerhouse Parramatta will be the first New South Wales major cultural institution located in a region that has a third of the population of the state, but up until now hasn't had that level of access. So I think that positioning and that, as I said, sort of philosophical decision-making is a real sort of game-changer in terms of how uh, cultural institutions are located and what their responsibilities are. And because of that, we're really taking that very bold impetus by the government and investment by the government to be very responsible and around rethinking what a museum can and should be for its community. And it's very different to what it has been. And I think it has a much, these institutions have a much bigger responsibility and a much bigger role to play in terms of community building, but also in terms of the self-cultural identity of a place and how that's represented, but also the opportunities that it can build for young people in terms of pathways to employment, in the ways that it connect community and industry and education. And we really see ourselves as having you know, a very active role and playing a very active role as part of that. So, I mean, that's a huge agenda and I think a fantastic one. I'd like to uh, kind of discuss with you and it's exactly the sort of thing I think people will want to know, know about. Just to put give a bit more context, Sydney, city of 5 million, uh, just under 2 million probably living in greater Western Sydney, but it's the it's been the fastest growing part of the city. It's actually quite a, a newish kind of migrant population has tended to congregate there over the decades. It's very cosmopolitan, very diverse, but also um, it's been where most of the economic momentum has been in Sydney or in the last sort of decade, really. It's been, it's a bit like anybody who kind of knows London, it's not, none of these analogies work, but it's about 25 kilometers from the centre of the city of Sydney. It's a bit like part of East London, certainly in, in terms of, you know, a region that's growing, very cosmopolitan, but also has been not fashionable, uh, in a sense, in the past. And it's become the centre of this kind of amazing investment programme. I want to I go through the list of things that you did there, because there was a really good list of stuff around. So I think it's great to recognise, sometimes we have a go at governments, in, and, we, you know, it's always easy to have a go, but they've really put some money where people wanted them to, to do it, which is partly in the arts and culture area and partly in Western Sydney. And those two, that's, those two things are definitely happening. And your point is that the, it's, that's both a kind of economic investment in a region, but also a, a kind of investment in, in the cultural development of people who historically, most of the money in Sydney and arts and culture has gone into the kind of CBD part of, of Sydney, like in all capital cities where they've tended to concentrate. And this is an attempt to do something quite quite different so that's very exciting in itself what stage by the way what stage have we reached with the Parramatta just again to put it in context for people what stage have we reached with that we had an international design competition and we appointed an incredible um, team of architectural team of Moreau Kuzunaki and Jenton Moreau Kuzunaki are a French Japanese based team 
a French-Japanese team based in Paris, and they're working with Australian architects, Jenton. And we're at the stage now where we're about to award the main building contract and go into that next stage of delivery, which we're really excited about. And so we've really been working, you know, very closely with the community uh, and with the architectural team and the design team to look at the built form of the museum. The way that Moroku Zanuki really conceived Powerhouse Parramatta was as this hyper platform that can move through time. And I think when you talk about Western Sydney and cities as these constantly moving and growing places, they've actually thought very differently in terms of the responsibility of a museum. And it's something that we're really embedded in our brief as well. One of the constraints here in Ultimo is that it hasn't been able to move through time. So it hasn't been easily, it hasn't been easy for the museum to change, change exhibitions, be flexible. And so it's, to a degree, it's remained static. And the more you stay still within a museum, the less relevant you become. And so this hyper platform of Powerhouse Parramatta will support this constantly changing dynamic program that will be a program that will be delivered as much in the nighttime as it is in the daytime. And it will be part of this sort of embedded precinct that will have, you know, people staying in the museum will have up to 140 people staying overnight at the museum every single night. So it'll be very dynamic in terms of what happens. It won't be this glass box um, that when you think of a museum, you think of a glass box that opens at 10 o'clock and closes at four o'clock. It'll be the antithesis of, um, how we used to conceive museums. This is very important because I think one of the things that you passionately live and do really well is the argument about the centrality of arts and culture to the health and well-being, but also the economic development of a city. And I, I think in your own way, and I want to talk about your journey now a bit because I think we'll come back to some of these big, big themes. I want to talk about your journey a bit because you've been a, at various stages in your life. I think you've been a kind of city shaper. Uh, because you you know you go into oh, thank you <laughs> you work with some good local authorities as well like so mm. uh, we all you know I love Campbelltown I love Liverpool so you know but the you know you, you go to Campbelltown which was not famed I put it to you for its arts and cultural offer and the Casula was still was pretty incipient you know when when you were there and all that kind of stuff could you could you talk about that that those the kind of two stories and and what you tried to do there and what you managed to do there I think Campbelltown tells the story the best in terms of um, completely changing the structure of how arts and culture sits within, I suppose, local government strategy. So I was very lucky enough to, my boss when I came into that job at the time was a woman called Lindy Dietz, who's now the, the head of um, Campbelltown Council. We uh, together, uh, instead of having a cultural plan and having um, the art gallery sit under a cultural plan. What we did is we embedded the cultural plan into the into the social plan. And what was, you know, a place that, you know, might show, you know, touring exhibitions of Archibald prizes and things from major galleries. Structurally then, because we were then part of the delivery of the social plan, had this very strong uh, responsibility to deliver social outcomes through the programs that we delivered through Campbelltown Arts Centre. So I was very lucky to come in at a time when Campbelltown was undergoing incredibly significant cultural uh, and social change. So I think it was the same week that I started that the Macquarie Field riots happened. And that was in response to uh, the change of all the social housing and the development of all the social housing that was going to happen there. There was 
an extensive model of failed Radburn housing that had been rolled out right across um, Campbelltown in the 70s and I think in the early 80s. And what uh, both the state government and the local government wanted to do was bring in this social affordable housing mix and um, really break that down and really redevelop this suburb called Minto. And so um, because of this structural change and this new responsibility for our arts centre, we were able to really be a player at the table, sitting with, you know, professionals that were looking at, you know, uh, housing development, the physical development of that suburb. And we developed a whole range of arts and cultural projects that engage communities with each other, but really looked at, you know, embedding arts and culture in the change that was happening within that suburb. Wow. So that's just an example of, you know, and because of that, we were able to leverage all this income. We weren't just relying on arts investment. We, were, we had like health investment. We had crime prevention investment. We had housing investing into arts and culture in a very strategic embedded way that gave us complete access to communities and um, working alongside people that were, you know, working with communities to make those changes. Yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, the uh, sometimes the, the marginalisation of the arts and cultural agenda and budgets is because people are not correctly estimating the impact and the benefit of, of some of these things. So you can access other people's money if you show the educational consequences, if you show the uh, health and well-being consequences, the anti-crime consequences. And I think two things also, two things come out of that for me, by the way, as well, is one, one is um, that uh, the, the, the centrality of the arts agenda in making a place, I think. Um, you know, it's depressingly easy to kind of build a housing development, but it's really much more complicated to build a kind of vibrant community. And I think uh, that's one thing that comes out of it for me. The other thing I think is, uh, I've just been struck by the fact that listening to you, that a number of current city leaders, you know, people like Monica Brony, chief executive of the city of Sydney and Kirsten working in planning, you know, having been former chief executives and Lindsay, uh, Lindy, I hadn't uh, worked, I hadn't realized it had come from an arts background as well, but quite a few of the better, if I might say so, leaders of society in Sydney come from this arts and culture. <laughs> we have some amazing... And they're women, and they're women but... <laughs> I was going to say amazing women leaders in Sydney. It's true. <laughs> um, you know, we need more. So, uh, so, that's, so, so then you go and then you... It's as and though what it, happened actually as a result of that is that all of a sudden our art centre was culturally relevant. Yeah. So people saw themselves um, reflected in our programs. And, you know, that's, that's real engagement when people can see themselves in what's on the wall, what's in the art centre, you know, what's within their own community. And all of a sudden, our, you know, our audiences um, grew tenfold, the investment into our programs grew tenfold, but it was just making that structural step change, which opened up opportunity. Um, but it was also like key and key to my practice, and I think all successful arts and cultural practice, is cultural relevance um, mm. in terms of the programming that's, you know, on the ground. I think also that you managed to, if I might say, to create a kind of unifying focus in rather a diverse community and to make people across the community feel a kind of civic pride, I think, around, you know, cultural relevance, but also an identification. Um, mm. You know, we, we need institutions in a sense which kind of bring people together and I think that that was uh, a very important part of what you did and on the back of all this uh, <laughs> then decide to take on a, a really nutty agenda <laughs> <laughs> try and save the carriage works
You are listening to the Grimshaw podcast, the City Series, with your host, Tim Reed. Tell us a bit about that one, because for those who don't know, it's kind of a inner Sydney, but near the railway, uh, sort of his railway area, and it's a big railway kind of um, building, which you, you again made, you know, successful as you seem to do. So tell us a bit about that journey. So CarriageWorks. Um, is this most incredible building. It's about, I think it's about 15, 18,000 square metres. It's an old carriage railway yard in North Everly, which is close to the city in a suburb, you know, next next to a suburb called Redfern. Um, so it was in a part of the city that actually had, you know, a number of, you know, social problems still that had been sort of there since the 1970s. It was on its way to being gentrified, but not very far sort of down the path. Uh, and it was, it had been redeveloped by the New South Wales government, but it hadn't really had a, a client um, representative in terms of how it was going to be redeveloped. And it was basically, the, the job was um, fix it or we're going to shut it down. <laughs> so I think, I think I had like 12 months in terms of like rethinking a new model of how it could work without high levels of government investment. And so we came up with this utilisation model, which was, basically, you know, 70% artistic and 30% commercial and really drove this commercial program that invested back into the artistic program. So it's quite a circular model, but it started with, you know, this international visual art music performance program that, that connected in with a broader Fashion Week major events program. But really, that sounds quite complicated, but really the first step in, I think, rethinking carriage works was finding the story of carriage works. And I really think to make a cultural place successful, you need to find its story and you need to find its context and you need to make that make sense for people to want to be able to engage with it. So really the story of carriage works was when it was um, a place that made carriages for trains was it was the first place where Indigenous Australians um, were employed on an equal basis in Australia. It was also the place where new migrants coming into the country got their first job. And it was this place that was very much about access and diversity. So we sort of followed that that line in terms of how we how we told the story of Carriageworks and we really developed a very strong Indigenous First Nations program but we also developed a program that was really about that sort of access and equity and inclusion but also a place creating a place that had international uh, ambition as well and so we were really able to grow the program through collaboration really you know, building uh, major events, building programs, but it was really um, convincing people that they could start to present major events that weren't on the harbour. Because part of Sydney's problem is it has this identity that's very much sandstone, harbourside. That is the contemporary identity of Sydney. And what we tried to do with Carriageworks was to make a dent into what a contemporary identity of Sydney might be. And so, and pull some of those major events off the harvest, like Mercedes-Benz Fashion Week. And we built, um, we worked um, on building a new event called Sydney Contemporary. We did a lot of live music. Uh, we really worked with a lot of young organisations, a lot of emerging artists, and alongside that did very ambitious um, international projects. It was, um, I, I went to um, several events, many, many <laughs> and they were, they were of a sophistication, which, uh, you know, was of a 
very well top level international standard if i might say so and they were kind of mixed media uh, was uh, like your niche in my view you know it was kind of an interesting bringing together various kind of art forms in this amazing place um so it was always a very interesting pleasure to go to and, I, and, I, and i'm complex to please <laughs> <laughs> my own sort of artistic desires. I, I've an unstable mix of like old fashioned views of <laughs> with, with really kind of modernist pleasure, you know. So, so it's all, it was very good. It was everything for all the family was there. So I, and then you were kidnapped to go and uh, run the, <laughs> the Museum of Arts and Science or Powerhouse. But it more or less, I may have got the timing wrong, but it more or less coincides with, with COVID or just before. But you I think it was um, 12, 18 oh, months before. Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah, but the, yeah, but, about then. But yeah. you're, you're beginning to kind of, you know, you've, you've got great thinking coming along and then all of a sudden we're all hit by this juggernaut and this truck. And I want to talk a bit about your own experience of that and mm. planning to make, you know, tremendous transformations in that context. At the mm. same time, I'd, I'd like to then go towards arts and culture in this COVID kind of moment. And then perhaps we will end with a flourish about your views about cities and because uh, I, know, I know that you've got really really interesting ideas and we need to talk about the city at night as well and, and your yeah. your aspirations for your two great city precincts that you're building but let's just go for what, what's the experience been like and 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 also the experience of the arts and generally I think in 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 Sydney during COVID what's your feeling about this stuff yeah I think it's I think it's incredibly it's been incredibly difficult for you know, for art, it's been both um, very difficult, but also an opportunity for some artists. Like I know some artists have never sold as much work as they ever have in the last 12 months. So to say it's all bad, I don't, I don't think we can say that, but it has proved incredible, you know, making arts and cultural programs is about collaboration. And for a lot of artists, um, you know, making art is also about collaboration. So shutting down someone's key practice and um, for them to have to rethink sometimes a practice that they've developed over sometimes decades, I think is incredibly, you know, personally and cultural, culturally challenging for people. So I think it has been, um, I think it has been really hard. And, you know, it's also been hard to, you know, employment and all of those things has been hard. We're incredibly fortunate here to be, you know, part of the New South Wales government and we've been able to retain all of our staff and, you know, keep paying our casual staff and we've really been able to pivot those staff onto other other parts of the museum to so they can continue or um, do meaningful work during this period. Because I think that would be, that's the hardest thing, not having meaningful work to do or not being able to do your meaningful work or your practice I think would be the biggest challenge. Because you to explain again uh, from the start you, you've you're running something already in Ultimo a part of Sydney that's kind of inner Sydney yeah and you've been building a new <coughs> or designing a, a, a new museum for Parramatta <laughs> the 25 kilometers away so you've had two sort of big jobs to do at the same time but you, you managed to keep your staff which I think is really ex extraordinary actually and I'm delighted to hear that and really is down to the kind of commitment of the new south Wales government frankly uh, that's, that's yeah. i guess been been great in that as you as you as we move hesitantly but still i get really towards you know at some kind of reopening is is obviously yeah. coming you know at this do the excitement build are you beginning to uh are you sort of anxious that you know, <laughs> so there's going to be nobody there you know sort of what do you feel about I'm looking forward to everyone being vaccinated and that we don't have to worry anymore. I think I think that is something to really look forward to. Do you think the arts? See, let's go, go forward slightly. I, I think. Do you think the arts 
It's interesting. We've we talked about a bit about this uh, recently. You and I are involved in a mm. discussions about the future of the CBD of, of Sydney. But um, it, you know, we we feel coming in our bones the kind of re, slight reinvention of city centres of CBDs. You know, rents have come down. Uh, obviously, o- office occupancy has been sort of really weighed down. Transport has changed, but and it seems to me that it doesn't just mean the end of the CBD after the vaccination, but probably the slight reinvention of it i think also there's a lot of discussion internationally that actually arts and culture become more important in the city center and cbd of the future because we're trying to attract people back uh you know to sociability to you know to so yeah. it'll be important for as a focus for that in, in western city and ultimately will be really important so actually there's a kind of um, feeling i have do you, do you think this is right that actually your agenda becomes more central rather than uh, rather than less as it were going forward yeah i think so and i think and I and I hope, you know, post-COVID that CBDs and who they're for and what they do and how they work, hopefully on a more local level, more fine grain level to create community uh, can be reinvented. And I think, you know, arts and culture has absolutely a role to play in that in terms of how it connects people, but um, how it facilitates collaboration as well. And I think this idea of like smaller collaboration areas of neighbourhoods, of districts within broader a broader CBD context, I think, gives cultural connection to people and that's makes the, people want to be in a place. That's interesting. You, you, in a sense, I think and, uh, you've you've made this point to me recently that that in a sense we there's there isn't just the city centre. There is a bunch of neighbourhoods and districts even within city centres that have their slight kind of or very different sometimes identity, and actually, uh, I think what you're also doing with your let's talk a little bit about the two specific neighborhoods that you're kind of in and mm. creating the very different kind of places but you 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 i think you're 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 going to become a kind of um, very important responsible landlord for like an anchor tenant for the wider transformation of of the areas that that you're in give a little flavor to us of the kind of character that you think of these two different sort of precincts neighborhoods that you think you'll be helping to develop going forward with, Par- with Parramatta, um, we're really looking um, at Parramatta being this precinct that supports industry. Uh, we have accommodation, we're embedding accommodation into the museum. So we'll have 30 residential apartments where we'll bring, you know, artists, scientists, um, researchers from across Australia and across the world to base themselves at the museum, to collaborate, um, to work with us, but to work across the community more broadly. And then alongside that, we'll also have accommodation uh, for regional school kids who can come and embed themselves into STEM education and learning. So it'll it'll sort of be this ecosystem of learning and research and programming alongside space for communities to utilise space alongside exhibitions, alongside cinemas, alongside, you know, food and beverage. So it's this sort of multi-dimensional utilization of space that makes it more sort of usable uh, along a along a along a window but also it makes the diversity of use more interesting as well and then I think with Ultimo the way that we're thinking about that is a place that really uh, supports design create and the creative industries more broadly and so we're embedding into that you know subsidized workspace for you know designers for artists for creatives and that's one of the things that's really 
you know, a big issue across broader Sydney is how do we retain creatives, not only in the CBD, but across greater Sydney, and how do we give them, you know, stable workspace and how do we make places where they can feel part of an ecology that can actually contribute to broader ideas and be part of broader collaborations as well? That's interesting because we forget, and I perhaps we can go to, towards this as we, uh, I could talk to you for a long, long time. <laughs> Yeah, things like um, we knew before COVID that, that cities like Sydney, global cities, were slight, were kind of overheating in, in some respects. You know, costs were tremendous. And it was probably the second most unaffordable city for housing in the world, actually, outside Hong Kong. I mean, really amazing, really. But still beautiful, but expensive. Um, and so there were things that were not perfect. Uh, so in, in our great reset, uh, you know, as our great rebuild, build back better, whatever we call it, you know, yeah. there's certain things we, we would like to be better. And one of them you, you've, you've just pointed to, which is that we were squeezing artists and uh, cultural creators out of Sydney because of mm. cost as much as anything else. So I'm, yeah. I think we, we, need to, we need, always needed to address that. So let's yeah. And I also think that um, now is the time to sort of rethink affordable housing and and how we define that and what we use it for and, you know, how we can, you know, implement affordable housing for the great benefit of our cities in terms of, you know, bringing in artists and creatives and uh, diverse communities to make more interesting places. What we don't want to, you know, these, these mon monocultures and people locked out of places, that's when they sort of become less interesting. It's funny, it's one of the things I'm, I'm coming out of all the interviews that I've been doing with everybody, including the one with the planning minister for New South Wales was the imperative <laughs> of doing a proper amount of affordable housing and not and you know not just housing that's affordable but affordable housing you know actually kind of dedicated you know public social and sub-market housing so that we can get a, a keep our diversity as much as possible and build it back again if we can so I think we're all yeah. militantly behind this uh, this idea that the reset must be a transformation for the better as well as not, not just yeah. the of, of the previous world. Let well, that's where I think affordable housing should be embedded into, you know, the creation of precincts like this one or broader tech precincts or, you know, all of those things need to work together. You are listening to the Grimshaw Podcast, the City Series, with your host, Tim Williams. I think that's really a very powerful and important message, and I completely agree with that. So I'm going to tap your optimism now. I'm going to talk about <laughs> because, by the way, I mean, Anybody who's worked in the arts and culture world has to be by nature an optimist, it seems to me, because you've, I always love also, I, I'm, you know, that you've had to find resources from somewhere, you know, so to do, yeah. so, so you're always good people to run stuff, I think, you know. because <laughs> We're always asking for something. Always asking, <laughs> and always, always getting something, you know, the, yeah. uh, doing great work, as they say in Australia, that great phrase from on the smell of an oily rag, you know, the, uh, you know, but suddenly you've got some resources, which is uh, like an amazing place for somebody from your background to be in, no doubt. Great. Before we get the optimism, go back one step. What, what, have you, what, what have you got out of the last 18 months? What have you learned about yourself or about, you know, the, the culture you're in? Or what have you learned in the last 18 months? I've, I've got my own answer to that, if it'll help you. My, something like, for me, I learned about myself. This is going to sound wacky for people that know me, but I'm, I learned that I actually was more of a social being than I thought. Oh, um, because yeah. I'm professionally sociable, you understand. But I, yeah. I discovered that I personally missed 
certain things that I've taken for granted, I will never take them for granted again. And the mere act of, of meeting a friend in a pub or, you know, watching live music, uh, you know, these things I've, I realized I loved and I, and I missed. And even mm. last thing, a city perspective is the journey into work on the Manly Ferry. You know, I realized that that was my, like a, a, an experience I had never had before come to Australia and nobody outside Australia knows what a marvelous thing that is. Right. So I, I kind of learned that I, I, certain things are desperately important to me is what I learned. And mm. I, what about, what have you, what do you think you've learned? Um, I think coming into this job, because it's been about 18 months, two years, I've learned that I'm part of this sort of me as an individual isn't that sort of criti critical. It's how, or the information that I apply to others to, because working in government as well has given me, I've never, you know, worked for the New South Wales government before, is this incredibly powerful machine <laughs> that, um, that really sort of, you know, empowers risk-taking. I, I never knew that about government in a way, because local government is much more hands-on and you're empowered in a different way to, to be in the community. But um, working in government, it's, it is it has this very strong value structure, but it it also is the opposite of what I thought. I thought it would be very you know it is risk averse, but it's also very risk taking. Um, but in that context, this institution within that sort of government framework is 140 years old and it has this longitudinal sensibility about it, which um, was a culture shock to me at first. It actually gives an incredible context to how you work. I don't know if that's an answer. It's very abstract. <laughs> it's made me think about time differently. Well, time and impact and where you put your time. And that it's like, like this isn't sort of like the project that I'm working on isn't my project. I'm a contributor to a broader thing. And I don't think I've understood that so fully before. It's interesting. I'm, I mean, you've got me on a little uh, tangent of obsession of mine around the nature of government and I've spent most of my adult life working in and around government and hanging around them to try and get investment in good ideas or you know uh, I, I mean not dissimilar to you in some respects in sort of you know this is a good part of London in East London I would say come on you know we need a road or we need a railway something you know whatever right so I'm very interested in how you get government to do that and I think I discovered in New, in New South Wales is your point I think is interesting and I it's, it's part of my, my next podcast series, which is around getting stuff done. <laughs> but, but, but essentially, what I, what I think is interesting about New South Wales, and I think you've alluded to it, is that although it can be as bureaucratic and as siloed as you like, you know, and, and you just yeah. think frustrating as hell when, they, when that happens, right? Because of the, the proximity of politicians to the community and to people like, you know, mm. as civic actors, you can get stuff to the top table quite quickly and you can stuff get stuff done you know people you know you you know the purists might sometimes and i sometimes might be one of them like complain yeah. about what was the process that led to that you know i was gonna say. <laughs> but sometimes the fact they can cut through yeah process to back for example you know your great projects you know so it takes political leadership and you can imagine some people say oh really you know we should pause and blow it no we're going to do this I I, I find that it's so interesting because um, I think when you come up through, you know, grassroots arts and culture, it's like you're fighting the machine, but the machine is actually expansive, interesting, and an expansive, interesting thinker as well, yeah. and sometimes much braver. 
than um, you ever expect them to be. There's actually a book which I recommend, I can never remember who wrote it, but it's called Thinking Like a State. <laughs> just, you have to think like they think. And all this kind of um, now, we're at a very good point to talk about uh, optimism and the, and the future of our, our city. Uh, but also we might have a think about our cities as well to because mm -hmm. um, I, I uh, let's have a think about this. What makes you optimistic about the next decade in Sydney? Go on then, go for it, go for that one. Are you an optimist about the next decade in Sydney? You know, I'm totally optimistic. I think the next 10 years will be way better than, you know, the last. Although I don't know, because I'm not an economic specialist. But I think culturally, socially, I think there's a lot of cultural change, like from a museum point of view, yeah. there's a lot of cultural change internationally um, that's changing the hierarchy of what museums are. And I think that change and the diversity that's coming and the cultural reckoning that's coming, coming to our institutions and, you know, to how we operate, I think will make things, you know, way more interesting. Do you think... Um... I think we might see a revival. I think you, you didn't say this, and I'm going to overinterpret you. <laughs> but I, you know, if if you were in your right mind, you'd say exactly what I'm about to say. <laughs> it's, um, it's something like um, I think we might see a real revival of um, live performance. Um, I've got a feeling that there's a hankering for it, but also um, I think the the authorities need to be a, a big, will be more relaxed about planning and all this kind of allowing. Um, mixed uses and pubs to be venues again or something. I just think I just yeah. think, like, I think that the that the desire to get back into some kind of city sociability will will encourage more activity on the streets. Yeah, so I, I think rules and hierarchies will be broken. More yeah. rules and more hierarchies will be broken and and inverted, um, which will make us a much more interesting place. Um, and because you know uh, we we need to. I, I feel strongly to as a Welshman who's not really very Australian at all to, to see, I want to see more of this larrikin behavior that I read about, you know, the, uh, we need a little bit more um, yeah. of spontaneity back. And I think you might be right that we might be all primed <laughs> to, <Yeah. the> <laughs> to break more rules. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope the generations after us are like radical rule breakers. Cause I feel like, um, you know, we've always been held back by the baby boomers and the, you know, the rule makers, but yeah, the, as a as a as somebody who came in at the end of the baby boom thing, I, I'm the one that gets all the blame without any of the pension fund. You know, <laughs> yeah. So, so my, last, my, my last discussion with you would be would say something like, uh, I want you to talk about your you you did um, a ten point thing about the future of cities. Yeah. Uh, this discussion that we've got going on the future of the CBD. I want to talk about that uh, to, to as we end. Just before we do that, I wanted to say something about your whole agenda. I know you know all these international comparisons, but it is true to say that the that in a sense you're doing both Tate North and Tate Tate Modern at the same time. You know, the uh so the Tate in the North transformed Liverpool. Yeah. And that's kind of your Parramatta, you know, it's it's not it's not the it's not it's in the non-standard kind of place. You know, it's uh yeah. Tate Modern actually transformed an inner city part of the South Bank, which is like unfashionable and glamorous and transformed it. I think you're doing both those things. And the precedents are very encouraging indeed, is what I would <laughs> they, they really transformed the perception in well, both of those projects were incredible. Yeah, yeah, as yours, as yours is and will be. And I think, <laughs> but, they, but they also had ambitions that you have. 
to be community transformational, to be city transformational, they were meant to do what they are doing, which is to attract investment and attention and, you know, to actually um, provide benefits uh, that are cultural and also beyond cultural, as it were. And I think that's what yes. you're primed to do. And I think that's tremendous. So um, give us your 10-point plan. Uh, so what have you got in front of you? The first one was to change the language, which was essentially old terminology, as we know, supports old hierarchies. And so for me, I think the... CBD is a very confusing term. Like I know it's the centre of a Sydney, it's like a business district, but it means different things to different people. And I think it's just a very generic internationalised term which we can definitely get rid of and have more district names for places and sort of rethink how we name places or how we define places on a much more local level. Okay, I, I buy that. I think that's, you buy that? As long as we have a, a still a, somewhere we have an economic... <laughs> Collaboration. I'm, yeah. I'm willing to run with all these things. Yeah, yeah. The second one was, and I, we touched on this earlier, which was to create fine grain localized collaboration districts where we can act more locally and, you know, there can be a more granular sense of community. And I think that sort of creates this organized complexity that's not as opaque as a CBD, um, as we imagine, is. Um, so support cultural and creative industry startups to establish retail diversity. And I think that's what we see in all of our cities is this sort of generic food court. And, you know, Sydney is full of these amazing creative chefs and producers and, and makers. And it's how we um, embed that more into our everyday experience of the city as much in the daytime as it, as it does in the nighttime. The other one we've touched on as well is redefining um, and expanding the benefits of affordable housing. And it's really what the diversity, the benefit of diverse communities bring to cities in terms of, you know, how they operate and how they define themselves. I think the other one, you know, should be a given for, you know, all, you know, major infrastructure projects is to embed cultural infrastructure into precincts. So this idea of, you know, these major residential places across cities embedding opportunities to create in and you know experience arts and culture in and it's it, arts and culture doesn't just need to be experienced in a museum or an art gallery you know it can be experienced on a very local level in a street you know and sometimes it's just putting a powerpoint you know or putting power on a street that can empower someone to perform there essentially so it's thinking about cultural infrastructure dif differently and how it's embedded into a city. My other one was really about building an ecology with Greater Sydney. And you described, you know, Western Sydney very beautifully as this you know, very diverse, fast-growing place. Um, but it's visibility in Sydney and it, it, it's visibility more broadly internationally. We need to bring that to the forefront to really show what contemporary Sydney is. And I think having a, you know, really great cultural ecology where, you know, we promote the Vietnamese New Moon Festival as much as we, um, you know, promote, you know, I'm not going to say Australia Day, um, let's say Vivid Sydney. <laughs> I think it is really important in terms of um, how we read as an international city as well. And then also having like a, a First Nations strategy, like a way that we really um, think about First Nations storytelling across Greater Sydney and how we embed programs and cultural points across the year that tell that story, but allow um, broader communities and visitors to the city to engage that, engage with that in a way that um, is strategic and coordinated. Then also, 
establish new curatorial models for public art and artistic programming. I think some of the structures that are based in local government around how um, private development invests into public art can shift into um, more private development investing into artistic programming and animation of the city. And I think that really needs to, to shift to being so constrained to only being public art, to being investing into a broader arts and cultural programming infrastructure activity. I think that's really important, that last bit. That's really interesting because that it's like, it's always capital stuff that people are put money yeah. into rather than operating a program that uh, could, and I think that's a really exciting idea, actually. I like that a lot. Yeah, and also it makes more, um, you know, uh, it provides a context to a place as well. You know, if just imagine, you know, a residential tower that embedded like a town hall in the middle of it, but then invested in programming the town hall. Win -win, I think. <laughs> yeah, imagine what that would mean to its residents, but also um, what contribution that would make into making it a place as well. And then also making public and commercial buildings work harder. And that's also really about providing spaces for artists and creatives to be in to make work and making sure that, you know, creatives are retained within our city. And then the last one was um, telling more stories of the complex histories of places. And that was re really re how we redefine our monuments. Um, and really acknowledging that we have to be more conscious in our layering of histories of storytellings. So even if things contradict with each other as they should, there should be, it should be that there are conscious constructions that we are making. And that's so places can move through time so that we can allow our monuments to move through time. And so that our cities can have space for poetry. So we are going to stop there, but I'm going to say, I, I knew that was a brilliant list of things, and I've just wanted people to hear this. But also, very the, the sad part of it is it puts me out of business as a kind of urbanist. No know. way. No, <laughs> no <laughs> way. But I, I wanted to end my optimism note about this and about why, why I think the conversation we've just had is really central to an optimistic future, actually. So let me try my optimism kind of structurally about the future of Sydney. I think, that, uh, I think this, that although we don't think this at the moment, you know, because we're all anxious about the health outcomes, by international standards, Australia's still done very outstandingly in terms of health outcomes. I think there'll be, we also, a great writer about America has just pointed out that the, the, the impact of the 1918-19 pandemic in America was that people moved from the northern states to California and to, you know, to Florida and to LA. And it was the great boom of, of those cities, partly, partly led by climate and, and weather, interestingly, as, as deemed to be healthier in terms of public health outcomes. I've got this feeling that because of the management of the, of the crisis and because of our in, kind of pretty intrinsic uh, sort of values anyway, we're going to see a return and a, indeed a greater attraction to, to live in Australia and our cities will have done well by international standards, I think, in terms of their perception. So I think that's going to happen. I think the second thing is, and not just saying this, what's come out of these conversations is there's a brilliant bunch of people. There's a generation of, of leaders uh, in Sydney, younger, different, sometimes female from diverse backgrounds that are really bringing something new to city leadership and you're one of them. So oh, thank thanks. you very much for that. And then, the last, well, you know, I regard you as a, a force of culture, yes, a force of nature, definitely, and a, <laughs> and a force in the city that's uh, for the good. Um, I remember when I first came to Australia 10 years ago, uh, I'd been working in East London, and 
I, my, my personal objective was to try and make sure, as I said to somebody, that Western Sydney has its day in the sun. Oh, it will happen. It'll have that, but it'll have a week and a year because, <laughs> because of the week that work that people like you are doing. So on our behalf, generally in Sydney, thank you very much. It's been great talking to you. Oh, thank you so much. That was a lovely conversation. Thank you. You've been listening to the Grimshaw Podcast, the City Series, with your host, Tim Williams. Join us again for other episodes in this series from your favourite podcast provider.